Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. And before I get started on today's program, I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to encourage people to go back to my last couple of shows. Our podcast for 520, number 520 and 523, uh, they're they're a two-part series, I guess you would say, of interviews with the folks involved in this documentary about the youth suicides in Pine Ridge. And, and of course, if we talk about youth suicides in Pine Ridge, we're really talking about youth suicides everywhere. Um, the name of the documentary is The Bears on Pine Ridge. Uh, it features prominently two of the folks that we interviewed, uh, Tiny DeCorey and uh, Eileen Janice. Um, the first podcast is an interview with the director, and the second one is an interview with, with Tiny and Eileen. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't caught those podcasts, to go back and, and watch them, um, or listen to them, I should say. Um, we haven't done video for a while. Uh, we, we we do post up the audio on YouTube, but uh, usually a pretty st static shot. Um, so we are doing a video this week. I want to assure you that I have not had some disfiguring accident that doesn't allow me to be on camera. We um, we just, in doing some of these these phone interviews, it, it doesn't make sense to have <laughs> to have me on camera while uh, while we're doing a phone interview. And, and look, we are trying to concentrate this show uh, as more of a podcast. We know that that is the trend and that's where we're going. So I do encourage you to, to share the podcasts. Uh, I know we, we post the video up on, on Facebook and we post the video up on YouTube. Um, but really, it's the audio content. It's, it's what we're talking about here that, that we believe is important. It's the information that we're providing you. And... It's not even so much that we're giving you all of the information. We're trying to interest you to gather more information yourself. That's what the whole purpose of the show is to is to encourage critical thinking, encourage your own investigation, encourage encourage your own curiosity. Because we know that many of the things that we're talking about on this program, you may never have heard of before, whether you're native or non-native. <clears throat> I'm mean, look, we as native people, we can become very insular, uh, you know, because we we have been so um, marginalized and. Our territories are, are sometimes remote uh, or um, certainly not we're some we we experience a certain level of isolation even when we have a, a large population around us so we do remain somewhat insular so we don't always know what's going on everywhere you know I will say that there is a large uh, portion of the native population that does pay attention to what's happening in other native territories. And we become very, very active. We, we maintain relationships and we uh, respond to calls to action. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. My co-host on my radio show in New York and Washington is Regan DeLoggins. And, and Regan is an activist. And Regan engages um, 
in in these activities, in these movements. And Regan responds by going to them. And Regan is has really looked into the the line three issue, and Regan is involved in it. Uh, Regan went to Washington D.C. to protest, and Regan got arrested. So I wanted to take um, this show to talk about line three, not only as a to to support what Regan is doing and so many others. I mean, you know, Regan is also younger than I am. And a lot of the activists are so um, are, are coming from the younger people. And, and it's something that you know, I've talked a lot about on this show, that we need to encourage young people. We need to empower them with our encouragement. Now, look, we, we're not going to dictate what they do and what they don't do. But we need to encourage them to to find solutions that we didn't find and, and to, and to uh, push solutions that perhaps we didn't push hard enough. Look, I'm, I'm still very involved in, in many issues, and, and I try to stay involved. But I, I, I do defer to, to the younger people. And, and it's, it's men, it's women, it's LGBT2 uh, spirit. I mean, it, it's, it's all of, of our people you know, in, this, in this upcoming gen generation or generations. So I, I do want to encourage it, and I want to talk about one of the issues that's pressing right now, and that issue is is the fight to stop Line 3. Line 3, if you're not familiar with uh, with it, it is a pipeline that is a part of these this system of tar sands oil pipeline taking the, the dirtiest oil on the planet out of Alberta and bringing it to market. Now, this is Canadian... I don't even want to call it crude because it's not really crude. It is literally this this goo that comes from the earth that is separated from from sands. They actually call it bitumen. Um, it is what the Dakota or it is what the tra uh, the uh, Keystone XL pipeline was all about. And this is essentially a part of that. Although the 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 primary thing with the Keystone XL pipeline was about bringing this bitumen, this this tar sands oil, to the Gulf of Mexico. What Line 3 is trying to do is bring it to, um, to Lake Superior. And, and of course, so where does it go? It cuts right through the heart of much of the territory that's, that's considered treaty territory. And, and by that, it, it, is, it is Anishinaabe territory. It, is, it's, it either passes by or near or in the water system of several native territories. And, and of course, and I'm talking about in Minnesota. And... And what Minnesota and the native peoples there and the native territories there are one of the, the, the main natural resources that they're known for is wild rice. This Line 3 pipeline would cut right through the heart of all of this wetlands that is, that is responsible for, uh, for producing wild rice. And, and, of course, their cultures, the cultures of the Anasnabi in this area are very much tied to that wild rice cultivation and harvest and that kind of thing. So this is a dangerous, very dangerous pipeline. And, and part of what this pipeline is about is replacing an existing pipeline so it can pump even more of this tar sands oil. It, it, you know, by, by some estimates, the volume of oil that will go through this new pipeline, this new larger pipeline, will produce a larger carbon footprint than the entire state of Minnesota by itself. That's, that's how much volume of oil this is we're talking about. And it, and it's, again, it's a very, very dirty oil. It is, it is not, look, there, there's no clean oil, just like there's no clean coal, but, but this is among the worst. And so the effort is now kind of taking 
what the whole uh, no dapple, the, the uh, fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline, and 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 it's it's we're, we're upping the ante, and and so we are taking that energy and we're putting it towards this pipeline. So uh, one of the reasons that Regan was in uh, Washington was to was to call on the Biden administration to stop Line Three, and that is the call that is coming from so many people across many native territories. And look, we are. We're united in this. There's there's strong solidarity amongst Native people to, to stop this. So if you if you're unfamiliar with Line Three, I encourage you to look it up. I, and again, part of what we do with this show is is try to create, um, you know, interest in in topics that that many people may not be familiar with. And and if you're not familiar with Line Three, get familiar with it because it is the next big thing in terms of Native people standing up to resist these extractive industries, these fossil fuel industries that stand to, uh, to pollute our territories. And make no mistake about it, pipelines leak. They all leak. You know, and, and the standard for pipelines is, is, is how much they leak. Now, part of what Line 3 is intended to do is replace the existing Line 3, which is a smaller pipeline, an older pipeline, a leaky pipeline, which part of this battle to stop this development of this new Line 3 is also the fight to remove the old one. There has to be a shift away from fossil fuels. We are not only you know, promoting climate change, you know, uh, with it, with its constant use and the emphasis of these these fossil fuel uh, related economies, but we're also destroying homelands of, of native people. And we have already been so marginalized. I mean, much much of the lands that we are are on you know, what is, what is considered the reservations are just a, a postage stamp size piece of what was originally our homelands, homelands that would, that would supported our entire existence. So what we didn't just survive off the land, we thrived off the land, but as, as we've been pushed onto smaller and smaller parcels of land, that's become more difficult. And as that land has been contaminated by you know any number of, uh, of national interests of the United States or Canada, it has made it that much more difficult. We've, you know, the game has moved. You know, migratory patterns of native uh, of, of animals has, has changed, and of course, the very food staples that we depend on, uh, you know, have been altered significantly, especially those that, that grow naturally, like, like wild rice. So this is really, really important, and it's not just important to the people, the native people of Minnesota. It, it, it really, sh it should be important to all of us. Now, keep in mind. As I said, this is about Canada selling its bitumen, its, its tar sands oil. This isn't about domestic supply for the United States. This isn't a job creator. This, and the, um, the company that's trying to put this pipeline in is Enbridge. That's what they do. They, they're, they're a pipeline company. They're a fossil fuel pipeline company. And they're based in Canada. So this is not a U.S. company. It is not a job creator. It is it, it's one of those classic extractive industry um, uh, infrastructure builds that that produces the man camps that we've talked so much about as it relates to missing and murdered indigenous women. It's this idea of putting taking men, paying them a you know an oil salary to to put these pipelines on in away from their home. So we oftentimes see the um, uh, the behavior of these men who leave their their wives and their children behind and then go off into quote-unquote Indian country, we end up bearing the brunt of their 
temporary residents in our territories as they're building these these pipelines that are, are a danger to our uh, to our very existence. It, it is so important that people have a have a, a bigger and broader understanding on just what is at stake with these uh, with these pipelines. Look, there's a lot of great conversation, you know, and you know, and lip service coming out of this this current uh, administration about green energy, uh, about you know, cutting back on fossil fuels, uh, you know, consumption and all that other stuff. But where the rubber meets the road is when when our people, when Native people say, look, we don't want your pipeline through our territory. If we can't get that basic um, support from, uh, from the United States, from, from the federal government, as we're trying to stop something that could be devastating to our territories, devastating to our people, devastating to the lands, then you you really have to go back and question, you know, how much of his, this language coming out of this administration is is just rhetoric, it's just lip service. So the tone seems to be there. There there is the conversation. Um, you, you look, we're we know that that, that Biden put uh, a native person in as the Interior Secretary. We don't know what that means yet. We do know that Deb Hallen works for them now, and. The question becomes, how much of our interest is she going to take to that job? Because her first and foremost obligation and responsibility is to protect the national interest of the United States. And we know that, you know, before Trump became president, you know, one of the things that Hillary Clinton ran on was her support for building out federal infrastructure projects. That was her euphemism for pipelines that go through our territories. So, we know that the right and the left, the Democrats and the Republicans, have endorsed this kind of thing. And, and as we hear this, this you know, multi-trillion-dollar uh, infrastructure infrastructure package being talked about by by Joe Biden, it has a lot of great language to it in, in terms of you know wind power and and you know electric cars and and so many other things. But I don't know how much language has come into the conversation about removing some of these old leaking pipelines or even dealing with, with so much of the other latent um, stranded costs associated with, with the contamination on native territories. We still have open pit uranium mines on our territories. We have cancer clusters that are caused by it. We have, uh, you know, we, we have contaminated rivers. We have, con we have you know, any number of mines that, that were never properly remediated after the, uh, you know, after they were abandoned. So we have a lot of things, and, and I don't want those dollars to be be considered dollars going to Native people. We've already discussed on, on one of the previous shows about how this uh, $31 billion worth of uh, the stimulus dollars going into Native territories, how some people have re responded and reacted, you know, actually quite, you know, quite angrily towards it. Like somehow we got something we didn't deserve or something. But when I'm talking about some of this infrastructure stuff, it, this is about cleaning up your mess. This isn't about giving us a gift. We have territory after territory after territory that'll bring suit against a company. And then they get forced into settling for pennies on the dollar. I, I think about the Ramapo down in, uh, in, in the New York, New Jersey border area who had this massive lawsuit against Ford Motor Company for the contamination they, that they you know, committed on, on Ramapo territory, on Lenape ter territory. And 
at the risk of Ford, you know, filing bankruptcy, because that was the era that this was going on when the when the um, automotive automotive industry was was struggling. At the risk of that, they they had to settle for pennies on the dollar, and and not even really necessarily get all the remediation uh, you know, uh, included in this. We've seen oil companies in. You know, all over the place. You know, we've seen oil companies that have avoided cleanups of, of wetlands in in New Jersey and in so many other places that, that that aren't native territory or still remaining native territory. But the fight that we're trying to fight, whether it's the Dakota Access Pipeline or the Keystone XL Pipeline or Line Three, which is a part of the, uh, that that those tar sands oil pipelines, this is something that is important, and it's important that people understand why we fight these issues. You know, there, there are plenty of people who just think that that native people are trying to get even or that we're we're just fighting against any development. Well, development is a problem and there's a cost. There's always a cost to what the United States considers development and and U.S. companies consider development or Canadian companies, for that matter. And usually those who bear the brunt of that cost are native people. We've 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 borne the brunt of it when when Canada was expanding its its hydroelectric uh, infrastructure, its dams, and it's uh, flooding out ter- uh, you know massive amounts of native land. Yeah, for again, forever changing the migratory patterns of, of elk and caribou and and, uh, and and moose. We have carried that. You know what it's done to the fishing industry, the trapping industry, all of that stuff. We we know what we've experienced. You know, as the Inuit people have have experienced because of development in uh, you know up up north, farther north, and of course, all of this stuff affects climate change, and and who are the the people who are most vulnerable to climate change? The poorer people and indigenous people. The first climate change refugees uh, were native people in the Gulf of Mexico, who not only saw the 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 the, the waters rise uh, and, and flood out much of the lands, but it, uh, because of salt water, it changed all the vegetation. It, it, it essentially, it essentially, you know, wiped out their existence. And, you know, and were, I think they had to spend HUD dollars to relocate, you know, a bunch of the native people on, uh, on the, on the Gulf coast. So the first climate change refugees, of course, were native people. So, there's a reason that we step up. There's a reason that we try to champion these issues and try to fight these issues at a level that perhaps many other people can be, you know, complacent over. We know that we can't be complacent. We know that we have to step up. We know that this, our very lives, not just our livelihoods, but our lives are dependent on protecting the land that we live on. I mean, not only because there are many native cultures that still, uh, sustain themselves because of the, the, the natural resources of, of a given territory, but it's where we live. Look, we are already plagued with the highest suicide rates, as I, as, as mentioned earlier with the, uh, with the documentary that again, I'm, I will remind people to, to check out if they get a chance, the, the bears on Pine Ridge. We have the highest suicide rates. We have the highest um, missing and murdered indigenous women rates, the, the violence against women. We have the highest substance abuse rates. We have the highest unemployment rates. We have the highest poverty rates. That We have the lowest life expectancy. All of that stuff is because of policy. Policy that is pushed by governments, state governments, provincial governments, Canadian government, U.S. government, and the industry that owns them. Because let's be clear, the, the industry can spend billions of dollars lobbying. So 
I mean, when I've heard people say, well, you guys just need to hire a good lobbyist. No, we don't. And no, we can't. Because our dollars that go into that corrupt system, the pay-to-play system, will never compete with, uh, with the financial interests of, of the oil industry. So what are, we, what are we left with? Well, what we're left with is nonviolent direct action. We have to fight like hell. And, and look, and I, I want to be clear when I say nonviolent. I'm not saying we don't, we don't d- destroy some shit here. <laughs> I'm saying that we don't, we don't hurt people. But if equipment has to be damaged, if, if we have to make it too expensive for the companies, look, we know that, that they have a lot of money to throw around. And they have a lot of political pull. But if, but if we can delay their uh, completion of these things, if we can interfere with their completion. So, yes, we're going we're gonna to rally. We're going to protest. We're going to go to Washington. We're going to go to these places. But we also, as, as a people, and I've said this before on the, on the program, we have to recognize that there are things that every one of us can do on our own territories to support a fight on another territory. So... Look, I, I go back to the to the the Gunazadage, what some people know as the Oka crisis. There were native people who blocked rail rail lines. They they took down power lines. They blocked highways. We saw this year in in Tandanega and and other places supporting the folks in Wet'suwet'en territory by by blocking rail. In Gunawage, in Tandanega, I mean all all these places that 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 native people, Mohawks in particular, but but other others too have stepped up. This is what we need to do. We don't need to put 10,000 people in one place. You know, the, the, one of the things that happened with Standing Rock was that everybody thought, thought they had to go there. So at one point, there was as many as 10,000 people that showed up at Standing Rock. Well, that represents its own environmental uh, issues because not every place can immediately be equipped to handle that volume of people. And look, I know people went there for different reasons. Some people went there because they felt they had to go. And, and I, I appreciate that. And some people went there for, for shallower reasons. But, but regardless, if you are willing to commit yourself to, do something, to doing something like that, like traveling to, you know, to, uh, you know, to go to territory, then you should be committed to do some, doing some things in your own area. Look, uh, many of these companies are connected. You know, if you, if you look at the oil industry, if you, if you follow their, you know, their organizational chart, you're going to find out that Every one of us has some interest of these oil companies in our backyard. And even if we don't have that, we have the banks that, uh, that, that finance them. So I think we all need to do more. We all need to step up and we all need to, do, you know, to, to hit them everywhere. And not just, not just hit them where we think it hurts. I mean, there's always something, even if it seems small, that we can do. If enough people are doing small actions, it makes a big difference. So... You know, we need to follow, to some extent, follow the lead of some of the people who are on the front lines uh, of these of these battles. But again, I, I always talk about empowerment. I think we need we need to empower our young people. We need to, you know, let them do some of what their skill sets, uh, you know, involve. Whether it's the internet, whether it's social media. If if they can generate the kinds of call to actions, the calls to action that we perhaps didn't do well enough. I'm not saying what those actions have to be, but I'm saying that we need to step up in a big way. This is, this is now getting at a critical point, not only because our populations, our native populations are suffering, 
but the planet is, uh, uh, is, is responding. And we know that when it comes to big companies like or countries like U.S., Canada, or China, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, China is not off the hook here because much of this tar sands oil is purchased by China. And so Canada and the United States are trying to accommodate those purchases by, by availing real estate, <laughs> which means native lands, for the distribution, sometimes the, you know, the, uh, you know, whatever they've got to do in terms of refining this product and, and tar sands oil takes, you know, again, dirtiest oil on the planet, whatever it takes to, to refine. I mean, it's kind of funny because Canada has to rely on the U S because Canada has higher standards when it comes to refining and some of the things that they can't even do process their, their own oil because their environmental regulations won't allow them. So, so what, what do they do? They go to a place like the United States that has these, you know, th this industry that's grandfathered in that can still, you know, belch out uh, whatever contaminants they need to belch out to, to process this oil. And why? It's not for domestic supply. So anybody who gets onto this, well, this is about energy independence. No, it's not. This is about cashing out. And, and so what is being cashed out? Well, I'll tell you what's being cashed out. The boreal forests of Alberta. Massive swaths of land that are being, where, where the sand is being, is either being mined, where they can separate this tar from the sand, or it, they've got a number of different processes. And some of these processes, they, 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 they pipe in natural gas so they can superheat water to try to separate in the ground this, this tar sands, uh, this tar from the sands in, in Alberta. And, and it's a mess. They have these huge settling ponds. Some of the largest dams in the world are these earthen dams up in, uh, up in Alberta. And what are they damming up? These huge lakes. You know what these huge lakes are? They're settling ponds. So what's the settling pond? It is, a, it is this huge lake that is created with, with again, with, with, with our own mother, with the, with the earth, where there's a layer of oil on top of this water, and they, and they try to skim the oil off the top. In the meantime, any wildlife that, that lands in these, in these ponds is, is essentially dead. This is like creating a water, a, a lake, so you can have an oil, uh, so you can have a functional oil spill. And that's what they do. They pump this oil, this oil and, uh, and water into these lakes, and then it separates. And yeah, and of course, it never really gets separated. I mean, don't think for a second when I talk about skimming the oil off the top of this water. This water is forever contaminated. It's forever contaminated, as is the land. So this is what Canada has put up for sale. And they found a buyer. They found China. And then they found a co-conspirator in the United States to help them get this, uh, get this oil to market. And, and so who are the casualties of this? Of course, anybody who lived off this land, anybody who lived out of the, uh, you know, off of the, the boreal forests, and of course, anybody in the, in the line of sight for these pipelines. And who, so who are these people? Most of them are native people. Look, Canada doesn't have a massive population up in this boreal forest region, but there's a small population of native people. And this is where all of these fights are over. So, whether we're talking about Wet'suwet'en territory, whether we're talking about line, you know, pipelines going through, uh, you know, Aquasasti, 
so and, and of course it doesn't really matter if it's natural gas or if it's you know Bakken crude or if it's tar sands oil these are all fossil fuels they are all contributing to um uh, to the co2 levels and and uh to creating uh, you know climate change they are all responsible for it and even you know as people will boast about well the natural gas burns much cleaner well yeah it does burn cleaner but the carbon footprint associated with 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 harvesting with extracting natural gas makes natural gas uh, have as big a carbon footprint as, as oil does not as big as tar sands oil but 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 other oil and of course this involves hydrofracking which is you know, for both natural gas and for Bakken crude, which is this terrible, unnatural process of putting ungodly amounts of pressure into the ground to crack the earth so they can have oil or natural grass, uh, you know, seep through. And of course, this has led to, you know, contamination of water supplies. And now they'll, they'll argue, no, we're, we're cracking the earth way down below the water table. Well, where, when you, where do you think that stuff's leaking to as it comes to the surface? Look, we know that a certain level of natural gas um, comes through the ground naturally. That's how we knew it was there, right? And and, and frankly, even uh, even crude oil, you know, some of the, one of the earliest sites in in what the United States calls their territory was uh, was Cold Springs, uh, Seneca territory. It, it is one of the earliest known oil wells where oil naturally flowed out of the ground, and we use the oil. But the problem is isn't using a natural gas or using uh, um, naturally occurring uh, crude oil. The problem is when you so voraciously go after it that you start measuring the value of land by how much you can suck out of the ground or or underneath the ground. And that's what they've done. And this this is the challenge that we've had. Look, I don't have, you know, and, and I'm hoping that at some point I'll get Regan to, to join us on this program or on or on my show in Washington and New York. You know, she she has really, you know, Regan has really immersed herself in uh, in this um, in this fight. But the fight is clear to, to any of us who have been fighting as indigenous people against the, this climate or, or this environmental degradation. We've all been fighting it and we've been doing it for a very long time. And we will continue to do it. But like I said, at some point, we have to realize that this, this fight is, uh, isn't just going to be done by playing nice. So again, as we employ every strategy possible to, to fight line three and, and, and the next pipeline after that and the next pipeline after that, you know, the, the you know the, these pipelines of natural gas that are you know even running through the cities and uh, and and you know or to the cities through our territories as we fight all of those things, we've got to employ whatever strategy we can. And and look, these these are fights. These are not you know this isn't uh, these aren't just civil actions. And, and in fact, we will accomplish very little in court. And, and I know that's one of the strategies is a, is to tie up. You know these 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 companies these you know these industries with as much legal action as possible. Well, that costs money too. I say we, we make it as difficult as possible for them. And and when we go back to defining what nonviolent direct action is, look, I'm not calling for anybody to get hurt, but financially hurt, absolutely. 
And I think we need to do whatever we can to make these industries have a difficult time going through our territories. And, and frankly, I, I, I say this, it, it, all of it's our territories. But when they try to run these things by our lands, through our lands and, and where we are, our populations live, there's a reason they choose it. Because we are, our territories are considered sacrifice zones, not just by the, by the oil industries, not just by the fossil fuel industries, by the states, by the United States, by Canada. If they can disrupt the environment that only impacts a small population of people, meaning native people, then that's what they target. And, and, and so, I mean, and this, is, this isn't, you know, uh, a, a, just an opinion. The, the, the facts bear this out. When, if they're, they'll keep their pipelines away from cities as much as they possibly can. They'll keep it away from the non-native populations. But look, if, if it's just rice fields, you know, in Minnesota, oh, rice fields, th that's their attitude. Yeah, how many people are really living off that? And, and they'll do it. It'll be a numbers game for them. They don't, they're not going to assess the damage, the financial costs associated with the damage. You know, because let's face it, if a company does something that, you know, that creates insurmountable damage, they can just file bankruptcy and walk away. There's no personal liability. Nobody goes to prison because of a, of a BP oil spill or an Exxon Valdez spill. I mean, they might try to hang it on, on, a, on a ship captain, I guess. But nobody... You know, nobody goes to jail for these environmental catastrophes. No. But people still die because of them. Not only when the, when the accidents occur, but the cancer clusters that, that you know, that, that are created by, by, this, by these things. No, that, that's real. It's very real. So I wanted to do the show to talk about line three, but... What, more than anything else, I want you to learn about Line 3. So look it up. Look it up. There's, there's any number of sites. You can, you can look at it from the industry perspective. And, and I encourage you to do that because they're going to they're gonna put a, you know, a nice shiny coat on it. But then look at it from the native perspective. Look at why we protest. Look at why we resist this. And look at what the cost is and what the danger is. So I'm asking you. Just like we asked you to look at what the Dakota Access Pipeline was about, and we asked you to look at what the what the Keystone XL Pipeline was about, and we asked you to look at what all of the natural gas pipelines are about, I'm asking you to look at line three. Do some homework. I look forward to your comments, and uh, and we will be following this. And you know what? Raise hell with the existing administration of Washington because much of this is still their call. They can do the right thing. The question is, will they do the right thing? And the right thing may not be the most economical thing because they everything is measured in dollars and cents. And there's always a time limit to it. See, you know, if, if people looked at things from a, from a, a seven-generation standpoint, they would understand the entire cost. But if you only have to look at it in terms of a return on investment, and how much money you can make in this calendar year or this fiscal year or the next fiscal year, you can measure in dollars and cents on the shortest term po possible because most of the men who are making this decision, they're concerned about their pocketbooks, their lifetime, not their grandchildren, not their great-grandchildren, hell, not even their children, unless they've somehow pulled them into the industry as well. So we need to have a different view on this stuff. We have to look at this thing with the, with the long view. 
And we also have to understand that we have a short term, a short time period, a short view to correct some of these things. So our strategies have to uh, evolve. And like I said, to the younger generation, we need to empower you, not tell you what you can and can't do, but to encourage you to do perhaps what we weren't willing to do. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.